Hey, this is Lee Snow. I'm the preacher of Orange Springs Road Church of Christ, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for downloading today. I hope it inspires you. I hope it builds your faith. I hope it gives you a perspective to see what God wants to do in your life. And I hope it challenges you to a faithful tomorrow. pick up 1 Samuel 4, there's, there's an interesting thing that has just happened. And that is that Samuel, the, the prophet Samuel, the man who was chosen by God to lead uh, the people spiritually, that's what a prophet is, but Samuel would, would later be the, the prophet that anointed King Saul, King David, and led, led the nation of Israel through some of the toughest times uh, in their existence, and also through some of the best times in their existence. And at the end of chapter 3, 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 19, it says this, Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, whenever you read Dan to Beersheba in the, in the text in the Old Testament, Dan is at one extreme and, north, and, and Beersheba is at the other extreme. So what it's saying is from the north to the south, the entire nation from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh. The Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. So that's where we pick up the nation of Israel. We are studying the battles, the great battles of the Old Testament and the New Testament because history is shaped by battles. When you think about what made the United States of America, you probably think of some of the first battles. Maybe the, the Boston Massacre. Maybe the, the Battle of Concord. The Battle of all... The, these, these historic battles that, that either shifted the tide of the American Revolution or maybe just had some big influence. Maybe a, a famous person or an influential person died in this battle. Or the Battle of Gettysburg, the biggest battle in the Civil War that, that caused so many people to die. And it, it was really the turning point that showed that, that America was going to be united again and, and so forth. The battle we're going to look at today is the Battle of Aphek. Now, I know you have heard thousands of sermons and studies on the Battle of Aphek. Just kidding. This is one of those, it amazes me sometimes when I'm studying for, for passages, lengthy passages, I like to see how other preachers approached the topic. And so I'll just do a general Google search. And that's interesting because you'll get... You'll get truth, you'll get sermons that, that come from the body of Christ that, that teaches truth, and then you'll get sermons from, from every type of religious organization the world over. And I searched the Battle of Aphek, and I came up with a big old goose egg. There was nothing. People just don't preach on 1 Samuel chapter 4, and if they do, they don't call it the Battle of Aphek. But that's what I'm going to call it, because that's where it was. 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 1, the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines. They encamped at Ebenezer, and the Philistines encamped at Aphek. Philistines drew up in line against Israel. 
When the battle spread, Israel was defeated before the Philistines who killed about 4,000 men on the field of battle. When the people came to the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord here from Shiloh, that it may come against, that, sorry, it may come among us and save us from the power of our enemies. So the people sent to Shiloh and brought from the ark, brought from there the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts, who was enthroned on the cherubim. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the ark of the covenant of God. As soon as the ark of the covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel gave a mighty shout so that the earth resounded. And when the Philistines heard the noise, heard the shouting, they said, what, what does this great shouting in the camp of the Hebrews mean? When they learned that the ark of the covenant of the Lord had come to the camp, the Philistines were afraid, for they said, a God has come into the camp. See, see the Philistines are used to a God, their gods, being some sort of physical thing. And so when the, when the people of God bring the ark of covenant into the camp, the, the Philistines think that the, the, the actual God of the Israelites is among them. And I have a feeling that so did the Israelites. We'll get to that in just a second. So they say, oh, what are we going to do? A God has come into the camp. And they said, woe to us, for nothing like this has happened before. Woe to us, who can deliver us from the, from the power of these mighty gods? These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with every sort of plague in the wilderness. Take courage and be men, O Philistines, lest you become slaves to the Hebrews as they have been to you. Be men and fight. So, verse 10, the Philistines fought. And Israel was defeated and they fled, every man to his home. There was a great slaughter for 30,000 foot soldiers of Israel fell. And the ark of God was captured. And the two, two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. And then after this, the, the Philistines take the ark of the covenant back home. They start having some major issues because they have taken the Ark of the Covenant, which what they think is the God of the Israelites. They now control the God of the Israelites, but what the God of the, the, the Lord of hosts, as this text called him, the Lord of armies, what that God, the God of the New Testament and the Old Testament, the God that created everything in, in just speaking it into existence, that God took that opportunity to show the, the Philistines that you don't just take something from God and expect to be fine. But we're not going to talk about what happened after the battle. I want to talk about what happened during the battle. Now, on your own time, take, a, take your notes, maybe in your bulletin or something. Write down Deuteronomy chapter 20, verses 1 through 10. Deuteronomy 20, verses 1 through 10. That is the law. You see, Israel has a law for everything. Old Testament Israel has a law for every civic duty, every religious duty, every governmental duty, and so forth. That is the law. Deuteronomy 20, verses 1 through 10, is the law from God re regarding how they're supposed to go out to battle. And here's what, here's what Israel was supposed to have done when they went to battle the nation of the Philistines. By the way, the nation of the Philistines is also... The, the army that we're going to talk about next week when we talk about the Valley of Soka. 
you probably have never heard of the Valley of so- Battle of Soka either. But that is where the Valley of Soka is where David fought Goliath. So we'll talk about that next week. But the Philistines are no laughing matter. They're a serious army. And the reason why, what we'll talk about next week, the reason why David and Goliath paired off in the Valley of Soka was because the Philistines didn't want to just wipe Israel off the planet. They wanted to capture them. They wanted servants. And so let's put our best fighter against your best fighter. And if we win, then you become our servants. If, if you win, we become your servants. Because the Philistines can just go through and wipe Israel off the planet if they want to. But that's not what they want to do. Now, in 1 Samuel 4, that's exactly what they want to do. They want to go in and defeat Israel so overwhelmingly. You see, the Philistines were the nation that, that started the idea that would later become a major part in the, the war battles, uh, the war plan of the, of the Nazi party, the Blitzkrieg. The Philistines are the ones that came up with that. Let's take our better weapons, our stronger weapons. The Philistines also at this time were probably the only people on earth that had, had perfected iron weaponry. Let's take our bigger and better battle weapons and just flatten them. And so that's what they do. They come up against Israel. They're going to take over this important land that is fertile, but not too fertile. It's it's it's. It's all right, but the, the main reason why the Philistines need it is because the Philistines are a growing nation. They need more land space. And so they come up against Israel, and Israel loses 4,000 people. And so they say, let's go. Let's go to Shiloh. That's where Samuel just came from. Let's go to Shiloh, and let's get the Ark of the Covenant. Not realizing that Deuteronomy 20 is the law that they were supposed to be following. They just had a prophet of God appointed among them And they didn't pay attention to what he was saying. You see, Samuel's prophetic word was exactly what Moses' was. Follow the law. All of the prophets in the Old Testament, whether it's Samuel or Isaiah or Daniel or Ezekiel or Jeremiah or Hosea or Malachi or any of the Old Testament prophets, they all had the same general premise. And that was, go back to what Moses said and do what Moses said. It's the same thing that we have today. We have all these preachers in the, in the body of Christ, in the churches of Christ, and every single one of us, me, Wes, Jim, every preacher that's preaching on a stage or a, whatever you call this thing up here, I never know what to call this thing, every preacher that's standing on one of these things, the world over this morning has the same principle, and that is all we need to do is go back to what God said. Stop trying to make up our own ways and just go back to what God said. But they didn't do that because Deuteronomy 20 says this. When you go up against a nation that is bigger than you, I want you to get ready for battle. Get all your weaponry on. Get your armor on. Get ready for warfare. And when you realize that 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 army is bigger than yours, you call the priests. And you get the priests to come out and, and preach, as it were, an encouraging message to the people, to the warriors, and tell them that God is on your side you are not going to lose. However, when we find Israel in 1 Samuel 4, they have a separation. See, Deuteronomy 20 was written to the people of Israel when they hadn't yet taken over the Canaan land. And Samuel, you don't understand. 
when that law was written, when those words were written, that was a completely different world back then than what we have today, Samuel. They, the laws of God back then don't apply to today. We're dealing with a different situation. We're dealing with a bigger army. We're dealing with better weaponry. We're dealing with different situations. And what God said back then doesn't apply to what it says today. Does that sound familiar to anybody today? Yeah. It's exactly what we say in the world over. Well, what God said 2,000 years ago doesn't apply today because we live in 2018 and we have a different way of doing things. That's what they did. And so instead of calling for the priests and having them pray over the people and having them encourage the people and so forth, like Deuteronomy 20 says, instead, they just went to battle. And they lost. Badly. And so, they had an idea. Go to Shiloh and get the Ark of the Covenant. That's where God is. He'll be with us. When we get, when he, when we get him here, he'll be with us. There's only one problem. When the ark arrives at Ebenezer, where the Israelites are encamped, the Israelites get excited. They start screaming. So much so that the, that the earth trembles because of the sound vibrations of all of these people. At least 30,000, probably something like 40,000, 45,000 people screaming because the Ark of the Covenant has finally arrived. It is finally here, and there's nothing the Philistines can do to stop us. And what did the Philistines do? They got scared, right? They got upset because now their God is there. The Philistines aren't the only ones that thought that. The Israelites had the same thought process. We've got the Ark. God is with us now. The problem is, Deuteronomy 20 doesn't say go get the Ark. It says go get the priests. God is always with the people of Israel. Not just, the, not just some golden box. The golden box is important for reasons, but not warfare reasons. That the, wherever the golden box is doesn't mean that that is the only place that God dwells. And if you don't have the golden box, you can't win in battle. That's what the Israelites think. And so they go and get it, and they think, we've got this in the bag. And they go out. They battle the Philistines again, and they lose 30,000 people this time. So they run home. All the people that are left run all the way back to Jerusalem. And they tell them, we lost. And we didn't just lose a little bit. We lost everybody. The problem at the Battle of Aphek was that Israel thought that they had the trump card, that they had the ark, and that we have the out, we have the easy out. If we lose a battle, that's fine. We just go get the ark. God will be with us. They had a separation between the law of God and civic life. What was written way back when doesn't apply to us today. We deal with different situations. Samuel, you can't expect me to follow that law that was written so long ago. Hundred, hundreds of years ago, Samuel, are you kidding me? Do you know the difference between that world? We didn't even have the nation back then. We didn't even have the land back then. We were just fresh out of Egypt. We're still, at the point that Deuteronomy is written, we're still eating manna. And you expect us to follow that law? 
No, we, we're, we'll just take it into our own hands. And if it doesn't work, we'll use our trump card. James chapter 4, verse 13 says this. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You're a midst, for you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that as, as it is. You boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. For whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is sin. Israel had the same problem that James is talking about, which means to me that Israel had the same problem that the early Christians had, because James is the first letter. Very first letter that's written in the New Testament is James. It's the, it's the, the action points. It's the practical how to live out what Jesus taught, how to live out what Peter and, and John and the other apostles and the newly minted apostle named Saul of Tarsus. He's changed his name to Paul of Tarsus now. It, this is how you live this out. And he said, I want you to pay attention that no matter how much time has separated between the law being given and your living, you still, you still need to take God into consideration. You still need to take God into your plans. You don't need to just set your own plans and decide what you're going to do. You see, they, they wanted an easy way out. And that's really, when it boils down to it, that's why we have such religious confusion today. We want an easy way out. We want the magic drink that fixes all of our medical problems. I was watching... All right, y'all don't judge me for this now, Okay. Judge not that you be not judged, because that's not what that verse is talking about. But don't judge me on this. I was watching Dr. Phil the other day, and there was a lady on there. Becca knows what I'm talking about. There was a lady on there that said she had made the miracle elixir. It cures cancer. It fixes diabetes. It fixes, if you've got a headache, you drink some of this. Now, what you need to do is you need to work up to drinking a gallon of this a day. A gallon. You know what it is? You take cabbage, water, and salt, and you mix it all together, and you let it sit on your counter for like a year and a half, and then you drink a gallon of that a day, and that fixes everything. What it really does is give you salt poisoning, and you die. But we want the quick fix. We want the magic drink that fixes all of our ailments. We want... The magic pill, the magic workout routine that fixes everything. We want the person to come and to, to, to be the, the leader of whatever we're talking about that's going to fix all of the problems and, and that there will be no more issues. And we, I mean, that's why we have such religion, religious confusion today. We want to follow the man who has all of the answers. Because we're separated 2,000 years from Jesus. You can't expect us to follow what Jesus said so long ago. So we need something else. We need, a, we need a quick fix. There's another group of people that are said to want a quick fix. And that is in Matthew chapter 7. Verse 21, Jesus says that not everyone 
who says to him, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Many are going to come on the judgment day and say, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do all these wonderful benevolent works? We took care of the homeless. We took care of children. We were, we were foster parents for 52 kids. We, were, we made sure that we had a bag in the back of our car that had little baggies in it. And whenever we met a homeless person, we gave them these baggies. Those things are great. We do that here. But we did all these wonderful things in your name. Doesn't that mean that we get to go in? Jesus says, depart from me. I don't know who you are. You work iniquity. You do good things. You know the right words to say. But it's not a group of words that changes your eternal outcome. You can't just say, Lord, Lord, and that somehow mean that you've been pleasing to God. That's how in Acts chapter 20, when Ananias is, well, when Paul is recounting the the occurrence of when Ananias came to him in Damascus after he had met the Christ on the road to Damascus, Ananias says, what are you doing? Get up, be baptized and wash away your sins and call on the name of the Lord. That's how we know that calling on the name of the Lord isn't just saying, Lord, Lord. That it's not some magical phrase. It's not some magical incantation that somehow washes your sins away. It's not some prayer that does it. It's the obedient life of a Christian that does it. And the reason we know that is because Jesus had already said, it's not some magical phrase. Your prayers aren't answered just because you ended them in Jesus' name I pray, amen. You just prayed for a Ferrari and God does not care if you get a Ferrari or not. I hate to tell you, I'm sorry that it's a little controversial, but God could not care less if you have a Ferrari. Uh, I take that back. He could. He does care if you have a Ferrari. If you take your Ferrari and drive it and never attend worship and never have anything to do, and you take the money that you should have been giving to the homeless and to the children, to the fatherless and to the widows and to the church, and you take and you spend it on Ferrari, then God does care about it. But anyways, back to what I was talking about. I get caught up sometimes. Anyways, It's not just a quick fix. It's not go get the box. It's not say this prayer. It's not do this one thing and that fixes all of your problems. Jesus even said, that's not how this works. I want to read you a quote. This is from a man by the name of Charles Spurgeon, who was a a famous denominational preacher a few hundred years ago. But he got it right on this. He said, when we pass through trials... We think that we must have forgotten some little thing in consideration with eternal religion instead of seeing that faith is what pleases God. When we, when we pass through... Okay, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but have you ever thought about this? Have you ever been dealing with some financial situation and you think, well, this is probably because I, I took that last Sunday last week, last month, and I didn't give anything that week. This is probably God getting back to me on that one. Y'all ever, y'all ever thought that? If I, if I give a little bit extra this time, maybe God will meet me halfway and he'll give me a lot extra next time. It doesn't work like that. When we face trials, it isn't that we've missed some small, small aspect of external religion. When we face trials and those trials make us question our faith, when those trials make us question our ability to to stay faithful to God, it's not because we didn't put enough money in the plate. It's not because we skipped 
worship service last month that day because, I don't know, the World Cup was on. That doesn't usually happen in America, but that's why I use that as an illustration. It's not because of that. It's because of our lack of faith that caused us to do those things. We want, we want a quick fix. We want the easy out. We want to be able to just go get the box, go get the ark, and bring it, and that means that we will win. But what happens in 1 Samuel 4 is the exact opposite. You see, it's not so much that God doesn't want to be our easy out. That's true. God, God is not the trump card. God is not the, you know what's wrong with America today is that we need more Jesus. What's wrong with America today is that we need more Christians that are preaching Jesus. It's not the easy way out. It's the hard way. Every time. You see, the easy way is to go get the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of Hosts and put it in the midst of the camp and then go to Ebenezer or go to Aphek and try to fight the Philistines. And really what they should have done was not called to Shiloh to get the Ark, called Jerusalem and get the priests. Shiloh's pretty quick. It's, it's Ebenezer to Aphek is about 16 miles from Ebenezer to Shiloh is about 11 miles from Ebenezer where the Israelite were encamped 11 miles to the, to the Ark of the Covenant about 30 miles to Jerusalem it's going to take double the time to get the priests here that it will to get the Ark here so go get the Ark don't worry about what God said in Deuteronomy 20 Go get the easy thing. The priests get here. They're going to they're gonna preach to us. We've got to listen to a sermon. We have, to, we have to pray. We have to do all these. We're warriors. Just go get the easy thing, the quickest thing, and bring it back to us so that we can fix this problem and we can go against these Philistines. And what happens is the nation of Israel is reminded that God refuses to be our easy way out. He refuses to be our quick fix. God refuses to allow a Christian or a follower of him to put him in the position of a golden box that now, as long as I have that, I'll be good. As long as I have that, God will take care of me. As long as I attend worship one day, God will be there. I mean, I've done what he asked me to do. You did. You did what what he asked you to do, but you missed a lot of what he asked you to do. The Ark of the Covenant is is vital to the nation of Israel. The Ark of the Covenant is so important to the nation of Israel that it is going to be the pinnacle of the temple. When it's built, when when Solomon comes and he, uh, by the command of his father and by the, the preparedness of his father, builds the temple, the Ark of the Covenant is going to be in the middle going to be the most important thing. Then the tabernacle, in the days of the tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant is the most important thing. But the problem is that that's not the only thing. Turn to 1 Timothy, not 1 Timothy, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I think this has something to say about the battle of Aphek. Especially when we think about how Christians 
will often do the exact same thing. Verse number 1, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that flowed, that followed them, sorry. And that was, that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Pause. They were overthrown in the wilderness and they desired evil? No, they just desired not to go into the nation of Israel. Because, James 4, if you know what you should be doing and you don't do it, you've sinned. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26, if you sin willfully, there ceases to be the forgiveness of sins. And so what they did in not going into the nation of Israel, was, or the, the land of Canaan, was just as sinful as them outright denying the, the word of God at that point. These things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, these people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. Not grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end Of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he falls. No temptation has overcome you that that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. If you write in your Bibles, verse number 12, therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take out your pen. And out in the margin, write alone. This isn't a verse about if you think you're righteous, then you're really not. It's not not a verse about humility. This is a verse that speaks directly to what happens at the Battle of Aphek. They thought that they were living in a time that was outside of God's ability. They thought that they were living in a situation that was outside of God's ability to help them. Outside the Word's ability to help them. And so they thought that they stood alone. And that they were, they were responsible for coming up with the answer for themselves. And the real answer is, there is nothing, there is nothing, no temptation that has happened to us that isn't common to everyone else. The people back in the time of Deuteronomy, we're dealing with the same temptations as the people in 1 Samuel 4 at the Battle of Aphek. The people in the first century were dealing with the same temptations as the people living in Columbus, Georgia in 2018. And if we think that we are outside of the ability for God to help us, and that means that we have to come up with our own plan, all we've done is tried to come up with an easy fix. Because the truth of the matter is that there is only one way for this fix. There's only one way 
for the nation of Israel to win that battle in 1 Samuel 4. And that is, call to Jerusalem, get the priests, get them here immediately. We need prayers. We need to listen to them. We need their encouragement. Not go half the distance to Shiloh and pick up the Ark of the Covenant. Go the full distance and get what God commanded to begin with and do it. I'll end you with this. In Acts 26, you have the occasion where Paul is standing in front of a couple of men, Felix and Festus, and Agrippa, this king, this, this man who, for all intents and purposes, has the decision-making capability to end Paul's life right there until, until he appeals to Caesar. But that's beside the point. Paul pleads with him. Paul lays it all out in front of Agrippa. And he says, Agrippa, I know that you have heard what I've taught. You know, I know that you understand what I've taught. I know that you believe what I've taught. And I wish you would follow what I've taught. And Agrippa answers with this. Now your translation may say, almost thou persuadest me to become a Christian. You have King James or New King James along those lines. Almost thou persuadest me to become a Christian. The original language says this, do you think that you will persuade me so easily? You see, Agrippa grew up in paganism. Agrippa grew up at a time when you had a God for everything and if you wanted to appease that God, it was just a quick, a quick fix. If you want to appease the God of fertility, you just Offer a quick sacrifice to that God of fertility and you'll, you'll conceive rather quickly. If you need to take care of your farm, you just offer a sacrifice to the God of agriculture very quickly and, and he will take care of the rest. But it's also pretty complicated because you have a God for this and 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 a God for the rocks and a God for the trees and a God for the sun and the moon and the stars and the clouds and the, the water and the armies and fertility, and, and all of these different gods. And Paul speaks to Agrippa and lays his heart out in front of him. And Agrippa says, do you mean to tell me, number one, that it's so, you think it's that easy? You think all you have to do is follow one God, Paul? Do you think you're going to persuade me so quickly, so easily? And number two, in the back of Agrippa's mind, I have no doubt that what he's thinking is, that sounds a lot harder than just going and offering a sacrifice to this God. All I have to do is have a list of my gods, and I just go to the right temple at the right time and offer the right sacrifices, and I'm done. And Paul left Agrippa with Agrippa knowing the truth, believing, listen, I, I know that this is a little stretch, but hear me out on this. Paul says, do you believe the prophets, King Agrippa? I know that you believe. Now, keep in mind that the man that just said that is an apostle of Jesus Christ with all of the miraculous abilities. And one of those miraculous abilities was called discernment, which means Paul could look at you and see whether or not you were truly living for Christ or if you just didn't care. He had miraculous discernment. And he looks at Agrippa and says, I know by the power of God, that you believe that what I'm saying is true. And Paul left Agrippa 
with Agrippa not obeying the gospel. And we have no indication that he ever obeyed the gospel. Agrippa wanted the easy way out. Sure, I have to keep up with a lot of gods, but all I have to do is offer a single sacrifice to that God, and it makes that one happy. 1 Samuel 4, the people of Israel wanted the easy way out. They went and got the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of hosts. And the easy way out wasn't the way. So what is the way? It's fairly quickly said, Revelation 2 and verse 10. If you are faithful unto death, or in the face of death, literally, I will give you a crown of righteousness. That sounds pretty easy, doesn't it? I mean, it sounds easy, but then you start thinking about what the word faithful means. What the word belief means. What it means in what we talked about in Bible class. How it changes our lives. How it makes us look different. How it makes us think different. How it makes us act differently. And the catch is that very quickly, we will try to come up with an easy way out. Well, I do this. Well, I don't do this. And the truth is that it's not the easy way out. God will not be our trump card. He refuses to be our easy way out. He, he welcomes being our way out. But He never calls it easy. So many people want Christianity to simply be that you obey the gospel and then it, it, all, it becomes rainbows and butterflies for the rest of your life. Last week, Rebecca and I watched a movie. Now, I, I, I know that it is kind of, it's kind of dangerous at times to watch a movie that's based on the Bible because sometimes you'll get a movie that's talking about Noah's Ark and you'll get some things that look like Lord of the Rings walking out of the woodworks because of some strange myth that was around back then. I know, it's, I know it can be dangerous at times, but we watched the movie Paul, an Apostle of Christ. I just want to challenge you to do something, okay? Listen. I'm not going to pay for it, but it's $2.16 to go to Redbox and rent that movie and watch it. And then come back to me and tell me whether or not you have a better picture of what the persecution looks like. We hear about persecution in the scriptures all the time, but we live in a, in a visual society. And last week, I watched that movie, and I've studied the persecutions. I know what Nero did, and what Domitian did, and what Vespasian did, and what these, these men who claimed to be leaders did to the people who were just simply trying to get people to follow Christ. I know, I know the academic knowledge of Nero taking Christians and dipping them in pitch and using them to light his, candle, his garden parties. But, I, but I'm a visual learner, and I watched a visual representation of that. If you can understand the persecution of the early Christians and think that Christianity is easy, you have missed something. It is not going to be easy, but I promise you it will be worth it. And if you need to become a Christian this morning, we're going to stand, sing a song of encouragement for you, you can let us know while we do that. We can, be, we can baptize you. If you have faith in Christ and you're willing to repent and confess your sins, we will baptize you this morning. And you can start your walk with Christ. But don't think that if, you be, if you're baptized, then you have taken the, the, the trump card and laid it on the table and now you're good. Because that's not true. 
you'll be doing the exact same thing that the people of Israel did in 1 Samuel 4 at the battle of Aphek. And you will come out with the same outcome as the children of Israel did at the battle of Aphek. You will lose that battle because you thought that all you had to do was check the box. If you need to become a Christian, we're going to stand and sing a song of encouragement for you and let us know while we do that.